0: put the spring back into your step and into your home too. shop blinds.com right now and save up to 45% up to 45% off for a limited time at blinds.com blinds.com rules and restrictions may apply
1: 971 FM talk podcast
2: well hello I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Mark Reardon and it's always a pleasure to be with you Merry Christmas to you, too. We're just a couple of days away, as my kids remind me every single morning as they're moving the little mouse in my Advent calendar I've had since a child. Apparently, Avon sold those in the 90s, so there's a bunch of kids my age that have these still, and they're super, I guess, popular to bring back once in a while. So my kids are able to experience some of the things I enjoyed as a child. And then one day I wonder, what will my kids enjoy when they're adults? Will they enjoy hearing about Donald Trump still? Because it seems like this will be the forever story that never ceases. Um, So the breaking news today, And by the way, if you want to reach me online at Ryan Recker on Twitter, Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook, it's always a great pleasure to be back here on St. Louis. And even though I'm broadcasting from my basement here in Detroit, where I'm located now, still have a great fondness for this radio station. And hopefully uh, some of the listeners here enjoy having me back, even if it's just for one day on the Mark Reardon program. So the Supreme Court sidesteps a decision on President Trump's presidential immunity and that was the big news and this was looked at as a pretty big hit to special counsel jack smith and part of that is that the fast track is like you know what let's just go straight to the supreme court let's just let's just try to get this in here before the election let's try to squeak this in let's forget about the due process side of things let's just try to force it straight in front of the supreme court and you know Donald Trump i feel would have tried to do something similar if it was something different let's say he was doing this to someone else. And I, you know, let's look at how Fox News handles this. This is Fox News let me play this for you. What the Supreme Court has said, they're not going to hear this on an emergency basis, meaning it's not going to be something that's going to be fast-tracked. This will go through the court system the regular way. It'll go to a federal appeals court first. There will be oral arguments there. They will have to determine uh, what uh, what the judgment of that court is one way or the other. And then there would be probably an appeal by both sides, either side, depending on the verdict there, to the Supreme Court. So this might still take a while to go through the federal court and if and when it ever goes to the Supreme Court. Yeah, if and when, I think that's the big key. I think they look at some of these other states who have these predominantly very left-leaning legislators, governors, senators, judges in place very left-leaning supreme courts and we're looking at you colorado and they're saying hey why can't we just do that let's (laughs) let's just get the state supreme court to uh just come in and say you know what we're just going to decide you're not allowed on the ballot but can we do that on a federal level how about we just skip all these other procedural things and try to force this before the election and that is part of the problem i think that they're going to find with the um with the court and Jack Smith, is that this is going to be looked at as a pretty big delay tactic for Donald Trump, which means that he's going to be able to go campaigning, and this is still going to be in the heat of the campaigning. He'll be able to talk about being persecuted politically as the leading candidate of the Republican Party. And he's going to go out there and he's going to gain a lot of votes for this because people are going to look at it and say, yeah, that is kind of weird that in today's world, you can, if you don't like the person, Just bog them down in court forever and try to get your way that way. That doesn't seem like what we should be doing here. And I think a lot of people are going to sympathize with him that way. So this is definitely going to backfire. And I think this is why Jack Smith may be reassessing his strategy right now, knowing that for the most part, if this gets delayed past the election and he's, let's say, perhaps the winner based on the way the polls look right now versus Joe Biden, then what happens? You're going to continue on as the president of the United States? I don't think so. I mean, you could try, and then you're going to let him force the hand to waive his executive power. Let's uh, listen to Shannon Bream from Fox.
3: I think it's been clear the Trump team wants to drag this out as much as possible. You guys talk through the possible steps that can happen next. Um, No matter who wins or loses at the D.C. Circuit, that appellate level right below the Supreme Court, they can ask for that on-bank hearing, which is another bite where the full panel of the D.C. Circuit would have to hear it then it would go to the Supreme Court. So, if the Trump team wants to aim at running out the clock and pressing back this Jack Smith trial, not only from March, but far beyond that into the summer or beyond if they can, they're going to use every single one of those procedural levers that they can. I do think once it gets to the Supreme Court, they would probably act in a more expedited manner than normally when they would get a case like this. We'll just have to see how long it gets back to them. Because remember, we've got the Mar-a-Lago trial set for May, the other big federal trial, the um, August date for the Georgia State trial. So there's a lot between here and the election, and if the Trump team can push one of these big cases, including this Jack Smith case, out of the way and post-election, They're going to do everything they can to get it there.
2: And think about this way. When you're in the heat of campaigning to be president of the United States, to say that this goes on the back burner and you can pay more attention to, let's say, your campaign efforts as you're traveling across the United States, then that is a big win for him, too. Because now he can say, you know what? Uh, This is something that I can take care of later because really my goal is to become the president of the United States again. Uh, Jonathan Turley, legal expert, here's his take. Part of the... The dynamic here is that the special counsel was asking to effectively
4: leapfrog over the D.C. Circuit uh, in order to get a judgment
2: as quickly as possible. Uh, Jack Smith has made very clear that he wants this case tried before the election.
1: And what a lot of us have said is that it's unlikely
2: that many of the justices have the same sense of urgency. because. Trump would be eligible for the presidency, even if he were convicted. And regular order demands, usually, that the court hears from the appellate court. And by the way, this is how the Supreme Court operates. It's so interesting, too, Special Counsel Jack Smith, for the the self-proclaimed legal mind that he is. I can tell you that I've had many conversations with Brad Young about the cases that the Supreme Court decides to bring up or not. And this is clearly leapfrogging to the Supreme Court is not one of those instances that the Supreme Court would be breaking their own rules for. And I can tell you that this is common sense that most people know, understanding what kind of cases the Supreme Court brings up. So they knew this was kind of a desperation thing. And in the end, the desperation pays off for Donald Trump because he gets to break down some of the clock that's working against him in this case. And really, if they would have gone through this the the right way, instead of just trying to go straight to the Supreme Court to begin with, maybe they would have been further down the road, but instead they decided to muddle in that mud, and that's where it sits. And we got so many guests on the show today. I'm really looking forward to uh, bringing Scott Fitzpatrick. He's Missouri's auditor coming up in about uh, 10 minutes or so from now. We're also going to speak to Jim Robb, VP of Alliances and Activism at Numbers USA on the complete mess we're looking at in the border. Next hour, Paul Hall from Common Guy Film Reviews. I'm going to ask him, I have a theory, you know, everyone's talking this time of year, it's been like this for the past decade, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I want to make my pitch to Paul Hall that Lord of the Rings is a Christmas movie because ultimately it's elves in snow with rings. That's like the 12 Days of Christmas. How is that not a Christmas movie? So we're going to get Paul Hall to take on that. Frank Cusimano from KSDK is going to join us, talk some sports. Uh, David Horowitz is the author of The Radical Mind, The Destructive Plans of the Woke Left on the show later too. Adam Bertrand is a member of the Francis Howell School Board. And last night they did a vote to strip out the social justice standards inside of the curriculum. And this is really interesting because I I wanted to learn more about this, and I'm so glad producer Fred was able to book him because I went to KMOV's website. And, Abby, can I ask you a question? Again, like I said, I spent a lot of time in St. Louis. The audience here, you probably know me and understand that I was on KMOX for a long time. But when I moved out of St. Louis, I started paying attention to the city I live in, Detroit. And when I popped over to KMOV's website, it said First Alert 4. When did they change their name? When did that happen, Abby?
3: That was super recent. So they moved out of their downtown building to Creve Core, I believe. And they did like a total rebranding. So,
2: So strange.
3: Yeah, I think it's only a couple weeks old at this point.
2: It was, I, it threw me off. I went to their website and I said, no, this isn't the website, but right. wait a minute. Like yeah. the colors are different. The name is different. So they abandoned St. Louis and changed their name as if, oh man, maybe, maybe they won't find us here as if they owed them money. Uh, so KMOV, First Alert 4, put out a story about this. The Francis Howell votes remove black history classes. And I watched the video and I realized, okay, it's about a two and a half minute feature or so. It's two minutes and 20 seconds talking to the people that were out there protesting Francis Howell. And then there was like a 10 second blurb and it didn't even present any other side to this story. And I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. I thought they were trying to present this as a news story. I I thought they were covering this, but really what they were doing was trying to shape the narrative. I was like, what? How, how could you do this objectively and not even present the other side of the story? I went over to Fox 2's website. I thought, oh, maybe that's an omission. Fox 2, you know, they spent most of the time discussing with the protesters how upset they were about removing this black history curriculum classes inside of Francis Howell. But they mentioned a few other things. They mentioned like, well, there was low enrollment, not a lot of interest among all their schools. But then they also mentioned that they didn't know the answer because they, they, basically said we didn't get any comment from the board member. So we're going to talk to a board member, get a comment from him. So then I went over to the post-dispatch website, and I found that they didn't really care to give the full story either, but they did mention one thing in the story that cleared it up for me completely and why the board members at Francis Howell would do something like this. Part of the curriculum is they're getting their cues in their bulletin points from Teaching Tolerance Project and that is a project from the Southern Poverty Law Center. If you're not familiar with the Southern Poverty Law Center, it's described, and uh, I full-heartedly agree with this, a notoriously partisan attack group. They're a group, very left-leaning, that focuses on the problems of whiteness, focuses on materials that are, hey, everything's a racial problem, and you know what? If Everything's race-related. You know, it's focusing on white supremacy, systematic racism, critical race theory. This is part of their curriculum that they provide these materials to schools. And, you know, I go back and I was looking at some of these different schools that use it. And I was looking at some quotes from the people that put this curriculum together. And I'm going to read you this quote, quote we don't just prepare teachers, we prepare socially just teachers. That means our mission is aligned with Teaching Tolerance's mission. I find that Teaching Tolerance is a place that I know is going to help provide timely and current social justice resources to our students who are teachers. So Francis Howell is using the curriculum put forth by this teaching tolerance project, the teaching tolerance project is trying to provide social justice resources in aligning themselves with that mission statement. So, Frank, this is this is none of this is in KMOV story. They only have one line about teaching tolerance in the post dispatch, and they don't actually explain what any of this is or the controversy that is the Southern Poverty Law Center. None of that is ever explained in these articles. You have to go and either know this for yourself, which how many people knew that? I didn't until I did a little bit more research. But you know that the Southern Poverty Law Center is an extremely partisan group. And really, can you trust them to put materials together in your schools? You should not be trusting that, public schools. Get out of here with that. So what we're gonna do is actually talk to one of the board members. And I'm gonna talk to Adam. I'm gonna ask him about all of this. The one thing that came out about this Because so much of this racial ideology that's shoved down these students' throats, um, I wanted to ask him, okay, so what happens next? Are you going to try to find a nonpartisan way to approach black literature courses? Um, Is that what's going to happen next? Because that was one of the criticisms that they wrote about, and they said, okay, uh, what are you going to replace it with? And no one really knew. So we're going to find out firsthand from Adam. He's going to come on at 525. I can't wait to talk to him about this topic because I think it's just so important. This is what KMOV will do. They'll put the protesters on the screen crying. They'll be crying when they're talking into the camera, talking about what a disservice we are doing. And here's, I got to say, you have to tell both sides of the story if you're going to do the story. They had no, 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 no uh, ability to do that inside of the story. They only told the one side. So that's why I think it's important to tell both sides. Coming up after the break, he's the Missouri Auditor, Scott Fitzpatrick. There's a lot of investigations that happened this year. The St. Louis City Jail, the ongoing circuit attorney audit from that just terrible, neglectful circuit attorney that left office. The new uh, legislative session is coming in, giving more audit authority, perhaps. Um, as you can't sidestep him as easy anymore. What's going on in Jackson County? All of these things I want to find out from Scott Fitzpatrick. Coming up after the break, I'm Ryan Recker filling in for Mark Rudin. Happy to be with you here on 97.1 FM Talk.
3: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
2: And welcome back. I'm Ryan Recker filling in and not seeing a lot of snow where I'm at right now. It's kind of warm. I'm guessing in St. Louis, not so much either, but I'm not too upset about that. The older you get, the less snow you want to see, honestly, unless you're on vacation and someone else is taking care of it. Uh, You can find me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio, if you want to get me on there. Joining us now is Missouri's Auditor, Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome on to 97.1 FM Talk. Hello, Scott. Hey, how's it going? I appreciate the time here. Merry Christmas to you.
4: Merry Christmas.
2: A couple of investigations going on that for the last year months. I'm just kind of curious where we are on these. And can we start with the St. Louis Circuit Attorney audit? Any progress there?
4: Yeah, we are making progress on that and uh, I would expect it to come out sometime in the, you know, next few months. Um we're we're still Wrapping some things up. Still need to interview a few people uh, involved with the circuit attorney's office prior to the transition, and have had a little bit of a difficult time um, pinning one of those people down that we need to speak with. But uh, once once those things are uh, uh, taken care of, we'll be moving forward with the report, and uh, that will be coming out sometime, you know, the first part of next year.
2: And from what I remember, there was a lot of interference trying to get the proper documents you needed in order to actually put an audit together. And during her time in office, Kim Gardner, I've always looked at as, I mean, the nicest thing you can say about her was that she was incompetent at her job. I think that it probably rose even higher, and I think a lot of people would put that into the realm of criminal in the way that she acted inside of that office. So, when you're putting an audit together about that office, what kind of things are you trying to look for? I'm just kind of curious. What's the scope of an audit like this?
4: Well, you know, this audit originated from a request from the Board of Aldermen in 2017 as part of the entire you know, audit of the entire uh, city of St. Louis. They didn't, the auditors obviously didn't even get to this uh, this audit until, of the, of the circuit attorney, that is, until 2021, and so we're two and a half years into it. I think in general, you know, they're looking at um, just compliance with, uh, you know, ordinances, uh, looking at, um, you know, accounting functions to make sure they have segregation of duties. They, you know, be on a typical audit where you don't have, obviously, glaring issues like there are in the circuit attorney's office, uh, they're looking at, you know how they're tracking uh, you know timekeeping for employees, uh, complying with regulations uh, related to their office, so on and so forth. In this case, you know there's there's work being done looking at the case management practices and the case management system in the office, um, you know the financial issues with the office are, are under review as well. Um, but it's typically looking at compliance with state laws or local laws, depending on which you know which apply to the entity involved. Uh, compliance with regulations, um, internal policies, accounting procedures, segregation of duties, and management practices—the uh, efficiencies and management practices. So those are the those are the typical scope elements that come into one of these audits.
2: So uh, when I look at the results of an audit like this, are you putting this together as the auditor on behalf of the taxpayer, or are you putting this? together on behalf of like, let's say the city council, the board of aldermen?
4: Well, um, we're, we're, we're always, you know, we're an independent auditor. You know, we're an independent audit agency. Our, our role is in the Missouri constitution. So everything that we do, once we uh, are engaged to conduct an audit, whether that be through our own discretion and in, in deciding what to audit or through an invitation or request through, uh, you know, the board of aldermen of a city or a petition from citizens, our ultimate goal is to serve the taxpayers. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't view the the entity we're auditing as our client. We view them as our auditee and our client, to the extent that we have one, are the taxpayers of the state of Missouri or of the local political subdivision that we're auditing. And so, all of the work that we do is viewed through that lens, and is viewed through the lens of, uh, you know, of holding government agencies accountable for how they're spending taxpayer money and how they're running their programs and Uh, you know, managing the functions that they've been entrusted to manage by the taxpayers in their jurisdiction.
2: So if you ever write a book or do a podcast, the term audit T is perfect. You're going to have to write that down and not forget it because that could be a nice little pun to use. Uh, Joining us here is Missouri Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick. Um, I wanted to um, give a shout out to a local watchdog by the name of Tom Sullivan. And he is someone that Pays close attention mostly to county council and has given a lot of, you know, red flags, things that are wrongdoing from politicians or maybe mismanagement of money or people forgetting about their obligations, trying to figure out, you know, on behalf of a citizen that lives in the county, what's going on with this or that, because there's not a lot of clarification. And he kept, you know, a lot of people honest asking questions. And one of the things that he brought up many times, not only between the county, but the city is the county jail. And when I was reading part of the investigation into it and the audit that's going to happen in the city jail, excuse me, one of the points was inadequate nutrition. And it reminded me, I want to say three years ago, Four years ago, Tom Sullivan was sitting in front of all these politicians saying, look at these people you're contracting and look at their track record of the food they're delivering to these prisoners. It is not it it is like what you would feed to animals. I don't even know if you would feed some of these things to animals. So I wanted to give a huge shout out to him because there's been a lot of people that have raised red flags to the problems in the jails, not only in the city and the county considering some being shared resources. Um, I wanted to get an update on the jail investigation. What's going on there?
4: Yeah, well, I, I, as you're probably aware, you know, the, the work that we're doing on the jail is an investigation, it's not an audit. And so the scope and the you know uh, practices that we employ are limited and are much different than what we would do in an audit. Um, you know, we, could, we can audit the jail in the event we get a request to do that by the Board of Aldermen or you know through a, a petition, but the uh, you know the investigation is ongoing. We've uh, received quite a bit of information from the city. Uh, we are actually still waiting for additional information that we requested from the Facilities Oversight Board Director, and so that investigation is is kind of in a place where we're waiting on additional information from. Uh, from that side of the equation, so uh, we want to get that that wrapped up and, and be able to provide some guidance or closure letter to the uh, uh, to the jail and the DFOB folks related to that investigation. But uh, especially in these investigative situations, a lot of times, um, you know, the the results or the uh, you know the speed at which it gets resolved is largely dependent on how quickly we hear back from parties that we're requesting information from.
2: Yeah, and I know that there's a lot of independent people and I've talked, I'll mention Tom Sullivan again, he'll fill out freedom of information requests to try to get some information that is not forthcoming and he said it'll take forever or never come. And I got to imagine as an auditor, you should be able to and at the state level be able to access a lot of these documents that you're requesting but it sounds like most of these instances, they're not forthcoming and they're making it very difficult for you to actually conduct these investigations.
4: Within an audit, we have additional powers. We have the power to issue subpoenas for records if they're not, you know, complying with with document requests. We can actually subpoena individuals to appear, um, and we've actually done in the case of the circuit attorney's office, we've actually issued subpoenas both for records under the prior administration and, uh, you know, since then for um, for people that we want to interview, we've had to subpoena them to to get them to show up. And so, uh, in the audit, we do have additional power. When we're limited to the investigation, those subpoena powers don't extend to that at this time. And uh, that's one of the things we're legislatively, you know, we worked on last year and got very close to getting changed and will be, has already been reintroduced for this upcoming session uh, that we're going to work on to try to get that subpoena power extended to our investigative process that will allow us to conduct these investigations more quickly and get the investigations. Uh, wrapped up in a, just in a more timely manner.
2: Yeah. I think when a lot of people look at the work that you do, they'll say, this is important. You know, we want to have truth and accuracy. We want to know what's going on. There should be accountability from our elected officials and our governments. But I think a lot of people also look at it and say, wow, how much does it cost for not you're looking at millions and millions and millions of dollars. And some people say it's just waste of money. So when you look at these expenses that are incurred, Okay, how do you, uh, this is how uh, someone would approach it. How would you justify it being worth millions of dollars to get this information out there? What would you say to that person?
4: Well, you know, if there's no risk of an audit ever occurring, or if there's no threat of an audit ever occurring, then it, you know, people will behave differently, right? And uh, Hmm. just the mere existence of our office and the potential that we could arrive, you know, at any time to conduct an audit, uh, can impact how individuals or entities uh, operate. What I would say is that you know the office has I think a pretty good value proposition. I mean, just as an example, we identified at the state level a ten million dollar uh, you know, mistake you know, where the state was spending ten million dollars more of its own money on something that the federal government should have been paying for, you know, and that $10 million uh, amount is more than our entire budget for the office for an entire year. And so, you know, we do identify uh, things that I think make the the value proposition for having an auditor good. Uh, but for a lot of these, uh, you know, p- particularly in these public corruption uh, situations that, that we deal with very frequently, you know, we go in and in a public corruption case, we will typically pay for the audit out of our own office's budget as opposed to billing the entity for that work and uh in the case of the city of st louis though where the audit was requested by the board of aldermen we do bill the city for that work Uh, but ultimately it's an accountability function and when you look at the overall cost of the audit a couple million dollars that's been spread at this point over about five years of work for the city of St. Louis, given the size of the city government and the amount of money that the city government spends, I don't view it as a significant amount of money uh, for them to spend relative to what they're spending running the city on a day-to-day basis.
2: Right. I I say this tongue in cheek, Scott, um, just out of curiosity, are you married?
4: I am, yeah, I've got four okay. kids too, so.
2: Well, is, is your wife afraid you're gonna run an audit of the Christmas spending this year? <laughs>
4: No, she knows she knows who's in charge of that. And uh uh, you know, she she doesn't she doesn't have to worry about uh doesn't have to worry about me. I'd say in that way I'm probably the bigger problem than she is,
2: so. Oh, is that right? Oh boy. Uh this time uh, hey, of year like, you, I, I married, I up married well. My wife is very
4: frugal and uh i you know it's it, I don't have uh an issue with having to rein her in. So that is that is uh, uh, an area in which I I did very well in selecting my uh selecting my partner.
2: Well, uh, Scott, if your wife can give some tips to my wife, that would be appreciated. Uh, Missouri's partner, Scott's (laughs) Patrick. Thank you so much for joining us, and Merry Christmas to you, sir. Thanks, man. See you. Merry Christmas. I'm Ryan Recker, filling in for Mark Reardon. And coming up after the break, Jim Robb is the VP of Alliances and Activism at Numbers USA. It's a complete mess in the border. There's no other way to put it. This has to be addressed, however... You find a lot of times Democrats are saying, well, no, actually, it doesn't need to be addressed. Let's, it's really not that much of a problem. In fact, Joe Biden is doing a great job with correcting it right now. And I no, I don't think anyone's buying that. So let's talk to Jim Robb about that after the break. You can find me on Facebook, Ryan Recker Radio, if you want to get me on there. We got the live video feed on the Mark Reardon page right now. If you want to watch the live feed, it would be nice to see you on there. You're listening to 97.1 FM Talk. <sighs> Ryan Recker filling in for Mark Reardon, having a fun time with you today. And I got to say, it's always nice leading into a nice holiday weekend. Hopefully you're either already at your destination or if you're traveling this weekend, you get there safely. Thanks for spending some time with us. And joining us now is the VP of Alliances and Activism at Numbers USA. Jim Robb, thank you so much for coming on to 97.1 FM Talk.
1: You bet, Ryan. Glad to be here.
2: Southern border is a mess. It's been a mess for a while. I wanted to play a clip for you from Vice President Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris and get your reaction to it. Is that okay? Yeah, here here it is.
3: Let's have a robust debate on immigration, but don't hold the issue hostage. State where you are. Let's work it out. We have offered a plan. So, you know, I think that it's um, it's very unfortunate, but it actually is is more than just unfortunate.
0: It will have real
2: consequence for these folks to play these kinds of games with who we are as America in terms of our role of global leadership. It will have consequence. So that was our... Southern border czar, Vice President Kamala Harris, saying that, hey, look at that. The Democrats are out here. They have a plan. They know what to do to fix the border. It's those baddies Republicans that are blocking everything and making things worse. What's your thoughts on her assessment of the southern border?
1: Well, Ryan, I was an English major, and I can't diagram that paragraph. So...
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure what she said. Are you? Is anyone? No, she's really is good at that. In that one phrase she says all the time, which is unburden what is what hasn't been or whatever the the word salad junk she says all the time. She's very good at putting a bunch of words together that mean nothing.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> without referencing her, without referencing her statement too much, I think she might have been saying, "Don't hold up Ukraine funding for border fixes because we've got it all under control. Well, Ryan, I was just at Eagle Pass, Texas, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday of last week, and they don't have it all under control. In fact, it is so out of control that on Thursday of last week, me and my buddies, uh, we were under that bridge where you get the TV pictures of people coming across the river uh, at Eagle Pass. And we saw in, on Thursday about 1,000 people wait across the river, patiently put themselves in lines, not nervous at all, not feeling like they'd been caught by the Border Patrol, eager to get in those big white buses that the Border Patrol has, one bus after another all day long, ferrying them to the tent city they have at the edge of town, where they get a hot meal. And in order to appear in front of a judge sometime in the next decade, uh, they're they were issuing orders from uh, the year 2031 last i heard so uh, the things are not under control they could not be possibly be more out of control people are coming in hundreds of thousands a month the the could fill up the city of st louis in a month or two of this and it's it's just it, it it couldn't be worse now republicans in congress they have no choice but to hold up Ukraine funding which I suppose they would vote for except in in, until the the border is fixed now what what are they asking for no what would fix the border well the thing is Biden already has all the tools he needs in law to stop what's happening I mean Trump did Uh, I mean there were still people coming across it was still high numbers but he had remained in Mexico. He had returning single men uh, immediately when they crossed. Um, many techniques he used, which Biden overturned the first day he was in office. So the law allows and encourages and expects a president to stop the flow using plenty of tools. But what the, the current president has done is, is use every loophole provided in the law to, and, and has driven a Mac truck through those loopholes, and is bringing hundreds of thousands of people across by abusing things like parole authority, which a uh, parole was was uh, was uh, uh, the thought that you might bring one person across who like needed an operation that day, so you'd waive paperwork mm-hmm. for that person. Well, Biden is waiving it for hundreds of thousands of people, and instead of having people wait in Mexico which is a safe country for these people, maybe not for drug dealers down there, but for, for uh, while their asylum claims, they're bogus mostly, asylum claims are, are heard, uh, they're given a bus ticket or, or um, released into the country with a court order to appear years and years from now. Uh, yep. We know that a study out this week said that 59% of illegal immigrant families are on one or more welfare programs. So it, this is costing us.
2: Yeah, and by the way, we're talking about asylum claims not through the official means of trying to claim asylum. I mean, they're just crossing the border wherever and when caught, they that's say right. asylum. So we're not that's even that's talking right. about an orderly way of trying to assess the situation. Uh, you know, and there was something else that happened today that I thought was really interesting. Did you see the Matt Gates Delta Airlines story? Mm, what did it say? This is a new one. So... Now, Matt Gates, and I'm just going to summarize this based on what I saw, but essentially said, hey, Delta, we want you to tell us how many undocumented illegal migrants you're transporting on your planes right now. And part of the point he's making is that how in the world can any, this is the way I take it, we have to go and take our shoes off at the airport and we go through all these levels of security. Now, someone who's undocumented, you don't know who they are, where they came from, and you're letting them hop on your planes I'm, okay, we want to know how many you are transporting because this could be a major security issue for a lot of Americans. So now he's putting pressure on Delta Airlines. So this is an interesting development so far for some of these different companies that are kind of like indirectly helping illegal immigration.
1: Right. Well, a lot of us are wondering with what's going on in the Middle East, especially in Israel with the with the terrorism that Hamas is, is uh, perpetrating over there. Uh, How hard would it be for terrorists to enter the United States today? Uh, And, I mean, you know the answer like I do, and there's – no one's checking them. There's there's no – the people coming across have no documents. They don't even have fake documents. They have no documents. They could be anyone coming from anywhere
2: with any agenda. We just don't know. Yeah. Something else I I think about, too, is just how overwhelmed we are. If you go back a couple of years ago – you had the AOCs of the world crying outside of a parking lot. <laughs> that really was like a press yeah. photo. And then it was, oh, we're keeping these kids in cages. This is such an inhumane thing. Here's part of the problem we're running into when you look at the southern border. How is that humane in the way that we're allowing this to happen? Where's the humanity there? Well,
1: well, right. I mean, people coming across the Rio Grande River and occasionally there are drownings and people are injured. But Sex trafficking, uh, yeah. I, Oh of course the sex trafficking and the and the, the rape of the young girls all the way up from central america and, and beyond it's it's legendary it's terrible uh, it's it's well it's it's we're allowing organized crime to handle immigration and mm. and then when people come to the united states people are giving them jobs uh very often and and the the, the jobs the, the, they'll work at any wage right so they're making much less back where they come from so they'll and they're here illegally they'll work at any wage on any under any working conditions so the the people in your audience can't can't have can't work at any wage under any conditions they have to have american conditions and american wages because they're paying american prices for regulated american housing right so uh there's these people come in they have an unfair advantage uh, instead of having to have insurance, which they can't get because they have no money, they have no papers, they just show up at the emergency room. And right now, at, at holiday times, emergency rooms are more stuffed than ever. People go and they wait for hours to see a doctor, and they have insurance. So uh, this this problem is – it's dramatic. How many kids in America are being
2: educated in double-wide trailers behind the school because the schools are stuffed? I'll tell you, uh, just just for Mm -hmm. the sake of time, I'll tell you how many different stories I've seen online, a few things. One, they show up to the emergency room, they'll wait five hours, they won't be seen, they'll have to leave. And then they'll get a bill from the hospital because they showed up and Uh, checked in but didn't see a doctor. The other thing is, uh, how many times have you heard stories about people going to a doctor, they finally get to a waiting room, and it's a telehealth. They wheel in a camera because they can't keep doctors inside of these hospitals either. It's terrible. Okay, I want to make sure we can find you online. Jim, Rob, where can people find your work?
1: Numbersusa.com. We're the people who you can, for no price, for free, you can contact us we will give you the tools to contact congress and tell them how you feel about immigration everyone should go and join up it's free it's fast it's it's the only way we can make congress listen numbers Perfect. usa
2: numbers numbers usa jim rob thank you for coming on you're listening to 97.1 fm talk get more at 971talk.com